Big money Democrats who gave over a billion dollars to the campaign of Hillary Clinton have asked the Democrat Party to examine why their candidate lost to some orange guy who basically spent 17 bucks on a hat that said, Make America Great Again, with great spelled G-R-A-T-E. In response, the Democratic Party has prepared this exhaustive report. Quote, after a searching moral inventory of ourselves and our own actions, we have determined that the reason Hillary Clinton lost the election had nothing to do with ourselves or our own actions. Clearly, the outcome was skewed when Vladimir Putin and an army of angry white men hacked into Hillary Clinton's private emails by using the dark Russian-slash-white man technology of looking over her shoulder while she was using her cell phone. <clears throat> These emails gave voters the false impression that Hillary was actually who she was instead of who she was pretending to be. At this point, Julian Assange kidnapped John Podesta and forced him at gunpoint to become a cynical and corrupt agent of a Democrat machine that no longer cared about the good of the people, but only about consolidating and holding on to power. Podesta's emails were then smuggled to Russia, where Putin released his winged monkeys to distribute them among the populace, causing Hillary to release a loud screeching noise that turned out to be her normal speaking voice. Faced with the prospect of listening to that voice for four more years, voters apparently chose to vote for Trump rather than sticking knitting needles up their noses and swirling them around until they destroyed the hearing centers of their brains. At the very same time, FBI Director James Comey was transformed from a man of unshakable integrity who said Hillary was corrupt, but so what, into a sinister figure of evil who said Hillary was corrupt and he was going to investigate her. After extensive thought, we've determined that Comey is a stinky stinker who stinks so bad that stink should be renamed James Comey. All of this combined with the ugly forces of racism that caused people to vote for Barack Obama in two elections just so they could then vote for Trump and suddenly spring out of the voting booth and shout, ha ha, we tricked you by voting for Barack Obama when we were really racist all along. Also, we hate women. This proves that America is still a country where people won't accept a woman leader even after she spent literally decades preparing for public office by steeping herself in dishonesty and corruption. Also, the Electoral College is bad. Also, the dog ate our ballots. So all in all, there are many reasons that contributing a billion dollars to the campaign of Hillary Clinton was pretty much the same as sticking the money in your ear and then lighting it on fire until your brain burned down. None of those reasons had to do with the fact that Hillary Clinton was a terrible candidate, her ideas were destructive, and her team was incompetent. Uh, in fact, forget we ever mentioned that. We'd erase it, but we're out of bleach bit. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. <laughs> Life is tickety-boo Birds are winging, also singing Hunky-dunky-dee-doo Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy The world is a bitty zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray It makes me want to sing Oh, hurrah, hooray Oh, hooray, hurrah Hooray, hurrah, it's mailbag day It's, yeah, woohoo. And there, and there is a Santa pipe. What the, what the hell is that, Austin? <laughs> it's a piper piping. Why does he look like Santa Claus? Because it is Santa Claus. Ah, the guy's on drugs. This is like <laughs> do we do tests anymore? We've stopped the testing program. All right. All right. It's also the shortest day of the year. So that's it for me. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe that's not what that means. <laughs> that's a great one. You know what I'm worried about? I'm worried about the Queen of England. 
the Queen of England is sick. She has canceled her Christmas festivities a little bit. You know, she's only like I think she's 115 years old. I'm a little worried about the Clavenless weekend coming up. That would be that would be the kind of a kind of telling end to you know after Brexit. That would be the ultimate Brexit, I guess, if she Brexits you know the stage. Well, I hope she gets better. I like the Queen. All right, we're going to take a look. You know, this after this election. The, the, the commentary has been so hysterical that we want to take a look at some calmer commentary. Finally, the, some of the pundits are beginning to calm down, and we, we're getting some intelligent insights like this one. Our long national nightmare is starting with the Electoral College presumably failing to do its duty as conceived under the Constitution. We won't know officially until the votes are counted on January 6th. Russia's puppet is probably now puppet-elect, so this changes everything. No. It changes nothing. These facts are the building blocks of resistance. He is still elected by a minority vote. He is still wholly unfit for the job, the man you would expect to find if you were searching for the person who could most quickly and efficiently destroy a democracy and maybe a planet. He is still a moving, breathing conflict of interest who will likely be guilty of impeachable high crimes and misdemeanors within hours, if not minutes, of his own inauguration. He is still a textbook case of corrupt self-dealing come to life. He is still the leader of the most remarkable group of public serve-yourself servants ever assembled, and most importantly, Trump is still, at best, the local distributor for Russian dictator Vladimir Putin. <laughs> I just Keith, Keith, I love him. I, I want to play him every day. You know, Keith is like Madonna or Napoleon. You don't even need his last name anymore. It's just like Keith, you know? And But 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 it's okay. He has solved the problem of the end of the universe. The You know, Trump is the end of the universe, but he has figured out how we defy, defeat him. Here it is. Not using one word can be just as forceful as perpetually using another. Never address Trump as president. He is Trump. Just Trump. Never president. The title of president? That we must protect for a happier and more honest time. Resistance means refusal. Resist. Peace. <laughs> I think I think the, the proper saying is Heil, isn't it? <laughs> that that uh, that'll be good. And this is great. They've just this, the whole side has just been reduced to impotence. You know, and today on Twitter, I woke up and on Twitter. Jesus never existed was trending. Hashtag Jesus never. I could just see Jesus, you know, Jesus be all like, ooh, they say I never existed on Twitter. Ooh, boo-hoo. <laughs> it's, like, it's a big problem. Anyway, anyway, I, I am getting to something here. I, oh, I should, I should have mentioned, I forgot to mention, on the mailbag, you can send in your questions live if you subscribe. The mailbag will come after we lose you on Facebook and YouTube. But if you subscribe, you can send in your questions live. We already have questions in the box, but we'll also take them live. Um, Trump is actually bringing some people together in mutual hysteria. Uh, our, our friend Glenn Beck, I love Glenn Beck, and Samantha B, who I can't even tolerate, sat down together, and they had this, this charming discussion. It's cut nine. My audience is going to think that I am crazy for sitting down with you. My audience hates your guts. My audience hates your guts more. My audience would like to stab you relentlessly in the okay. eye. My audience wants to kill me for normalizing a lunatic like yourself. Oh, really? Yes. Really. 
Okay. Now, good for Glenn for sitting back to, down to bring us all together, I guess. But, I, I, you know, a website called Grabian News, which is actually a pretty good, uh, you know, sort of uh, aggregator of, of video and stuff, they put out a list, which is now on Drudge, of the 10 most mortifying media moments of the year. And I don't want to look at all of them, but I want to take a look, go back down memory lane, because some of them are incredibly instructive. And the first one is, in fact, Samantha B. This is like number 10 on their list of the media, mortifying media moments of the year. Here's Samantha B. Once you dust for fingerprints, it's pretty clear who ruined America. White people. Now, I don't want to mention who invented dusting for fingerprints <laughs> or, or inventing things, but, but you know, this, this is the big meme going on. You know, uh, I think it was Sinclair Lewis who said something, I'm quoting from memory, but he said something like, when fascism comes to America, it's going to come wrapped in a flag and bearing the cross. In other words, it's going to be this religious fascism. But in fact, when fascism comes to America, it's going to be come wearing like a Christmas sweater and talking about evil white people. I mean, this is the kind of fascist reasoning that has become acceptable on the left. They have always been the bigots. The Democrat Party has always been the racist. And they, now they think they're going to solve all this by turning their racism against white people. And we saw that MTV video yesterday where they're telling white people what they should, how they should make resolutions to be better. My problem is this. Here is an actual white person who I don't like, Richard Spencer of the alt-right, this kind of Nazi uh, point of view. Here he is talking about his view of white people. To be white is to be a striver, a crusader, an explorer, and a conqueror. We build, we produce, we go upward. And we recognize the central lie of American race relations. We don't exploit other groups. We, we don't gain anything from their presence. They need us and not the other way around. Now, my problem with this white people meme that is now going through the media big time and especially going through the youthful media is it's, they're the same people. They're the same as this clown. What is your argument against this clown if you're going to accept the premise of racism? Your, his argument is that white people are better. Your argument is that other people are better. That's, that's it? You're gonna, what are you going to do, arm wrestle to decide that? Are you going to fight it out? I mean, if you're going to fight it out, you're going to find yourself outnumbered. That's one thing. But also, like, it's the whole logic that you're accepting. So this is one of the things that, looking back over the year, has been just an absolute boil on the face of the media that they have accepted and allowed this concept that somehow racism is now okay as long as you turn it against the right people. It's never okay. It's the entire premise that is that that's wrong. And if we don't ditch the premise, I know it's going to be unfair. I know people have been hurt by racism in the past who are never it's never going to be made good. When we develop, you know, the DeLorean technology to go back into the past and right those wrongs, we'll be able to solve that problem. Until then, we're stuck with the way it is, and the only way is to go forward in a new way. Another mortifying media moment from Grabian News was their coverage of Castro's death, and this was truly appalling. A declared socialist, he dramatically improved health care and literacy. Many saw positives, education and health care for all, racial integration. You see the medicine system they are very proud of. I'm quite certain that they're not celebrating his death in Cuba as he brought health care. Even Castro's critics praise his advances in health care and in education. It's considered, even to this, to this day, 
the George Washington of his country. Fidel continued to promote leftist movements in Latin America, where he remained popular until his death. He was a romantic figure when he came into power. We American young young high school kids and kids in those days rooted like mad for the guy. He will be remember, remembered fondly. You see donkey carts alongside uh, cars, trucks, and buses in downtown Havana because that's exactly what they'd rather have for transportation. And he was a voracious reader, very, very smart. He would be a, a figure that you'd look up to and say, God, this guy's great. They love those donkey carts in Cuba, man. It's like, you want you want a caddy or a donkey cart? Oh, no, nah, I think the donkey cart works for me, you know. This is, this is another crime the media has been committing through the year, and it's, of course, not just this year, but we're looking back over the mortifying moments of the media this year. The normalizing of this philosophy that is an evil per se, communist, you know, it doesn't matter. Anybody can do good things, you know. Hitler can make the trains run on time. Mussolini can make the trains run on time. Hitler can revivify the German economy. It doesn't matter. If the leadership, if the form of leadership is evil per se, it doesn't matter what good comes of it. Also, the Cuban healthcare thing is a lie. The Cubans have a two-tier healthcare thing. If you're a major member of the Communist Party, you get good health care. Otherwise, you take your donkey cart, you take your donkey cart, and they give you, like, they bleed you, basically. You know, they give you some leeches. You know, it's just a total lie. The poorest person in America has better health care than middle class people. There are no middle class people in, in communism, because that's one of the things socialism does, is it guts the middle class. But Castro was a mass murderer. He was, this is not, I'm not talking about a war. I'm not talking about people he may have killed during a rebellion against a previously bad government. This is a guy who, if you disagreed with him, if you were gay, if you, if he didn't like you, if you said something, or you tried to escape, he lined you up against a wall and shot you. There is no excuse. There's no but after that sentence. There is no but in American English after he killed thousands of people. There, but doesn't come after. That's not grammar. That's not American grammar. So this is this is a, an appalling shame. I mean, this is an evil, evil man who died. You know. I, I don't want to be standing next to him when the Trump blows. That's all I can tell you, you know. And, and this is, you know, this is part of our media being stupid, of not understanding that socialism, socialism is wrong per se because it takes your time and says that the government owns it. And that is called slavery. That is slavery in and of itself. When your time belongs to somebody else, you are a slave. Socialism is a bad per se. Castro was a particularly bad example of it, and it wasn't socialism anyway. It was communism, which is even worse. All right. We're going we're gonna to say goodbye, pause here to say goodbye to our friends on Facebook and YouTube, which means if you just let this go away, you're going to miss the mailbag, and we're going to answer your questions. We will answer them live if you send them in while I'm talking. We will answer them if you have subscribed. You can send them in. They will, the answers are going to change your life, and look at your life. Come on. All right, come on over to thedailywire.com and listen to the rest of the show. The next one, the Orlando shooting. When was the Orlando shooting? Is it April, May? I can't remember. May, May, okay. We all remember this Muslim guy inspired by ISIS goes into an Orlando gay bar and, and slaughters people. Here is the media searching for answers, again from Grabian News. A lot of domestic terrorists we classify that, that do that. They're rooted in uh, white hate movements. 
And so it could be that. But ISIS would do this to a hundred million Americans if they could. But so Stress would white nationalists. We're not getting to the core issue, which is how easy it is to get a gun. I mean, Florida happens to have the largest gun owning population in the country and some of the most lax laws. Hillary Clinton has a very strong gun control program. Trump. He's tethered to the, NR, tethered to the NRA. You know, we're having this debate about terrorism or domestic. It doesn't make any difference. Guns are really easy to get their hands on, and that's the debate that ought to be going on. What's breathing life into ISIS is this sense, this, this, this rhetoric that's coming from prominent politicians that confirms their view of the world. And clearly there's a, there's a place today in this dialogue for us to talk about the tone and temperament of our national leaders. And if we just understand that all of the hateful thoughts become hateful words, become hateful actions. All right. You know, I like, I like the, gu the gun thing is my favorite because it makes it sound like the gun walked into the bar. You know, like an old joke, a gun walks into a bar and opens fire. You know, Norm MacDonald, the comedian, the wonderful comedian, said uh, something like if, if Islamic terrorists set off a nuclear bomb, the terrible thing would be that the survivors would be angry at Muslim people, you know, would mistreat Muslim people. You know, this this is an, another, another stain on our media is their inability to grasp, to they look at a killing like this caused by Islamic thinking, by Islamic philosophy, by, you know, let's call it Islamist philosophy and say, at, at best, it's a corruption of Islam. Let's hope it's a corruption. We can only pray and hope it's a corruption of Islam and not inherent in the philosophy. But let's let's even grant that it is that's what this is about. It is not. It is on a spectrum with all the other terrorism happening all over the world. Every place right now where there is a war going on, every place on one side of that war is, uh, you know, is Islam. And I think if they don't deal with this, the guy, you know, that guy who was saying, well, this is because they're reacting to mistreatment. They're reacting to mistreatment. No, they're not. They're acting. They are, these are full adult, grown-up people who are just as capable of acting out of their philosophy as you are of acting out of yours. And ignoring it is what makes it worse because it's gaslighting people. It makes people, you, you say to someone, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? And ultimately, people go crazy and they get angry. And that's why it's so powerful when Donald Trump sits there and screams Islamist terrorism over and over again. Yesterday, after the Berlin thing, he said, this is terrible. Islamics are killing Christians all over the world. Something has to be done. I thought, like, well, at least that's true. You know, it may be, he may have come out a little quick. It may be a little blunt, but it's true. And truth has a lot, you know, is, is really a, a pretty powerful thing and actually will set you free. It's not the problem. All right. This, this I love. This was right after the Orlando shooting. There was a sit-in in Congress. Remember, the Democrats sat in because they were not, weren't going to pass laws, uh, you know, uh, contradicting the Second Amendment. This is the press coverage of that sit-in. An extraordinary sit-in on the House floor stretches into the early morning hours. But make no mistake, this was dramatic, like nothing we have ever seen before. Truly one of the most dramatic demonstrations on the House floor in modern American history. Were you surprised at how large this got? I mean, Kim Kardashian was tweeting about it. Watching John Lewis, a man, uh, you know, who marched with Dr. King, now you see him literally sitting with your <laughs> colleagues on the floor. Uh, what does that image say to you? Literally, literally, he was sitting on the floor. He was not figuratively sitting. He was literally sitting on the literal floor. And Kim Kardashian was tweeting about, you know, if I hadn't watched this, I would have completely forgotten this ever happened, as I'm sure the rest of America has forgotten it ever happened. And this speaks to the fact that if if the media, you know, we do need a news media. Obviously, we need a news media. If they are not going to become completely irrelevant, they have got to start hiring some conservatives. 
not some conservatives, a lot of conservatives. They have got to start hiring people at the at the managerial level and the repertorial level to turn to the guy next to him and say, are you out of your mind? If only a friendly argument among colleagues to bring people down from this high they go on, this incredible high, this love fest. Remember, who was it? Um, uh, gee, I can't remember which of the many reporters it was, but this woman who went to a... Uh, a CNN reporter who went to a Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, fundraiser and said, oh, what a magical evening it was, an extraordinary, magical. Somebody has got to be sitting next to that woman and say, like, tone it down, kill the love fest. You're a newswoman. You're a journalist, not a Democrat hack with a press card. And until that happens, these guys are just going to become more and more meaningless. And believe me, if Donald Trump has a successful presidency if he starts to revivify the economy and uh, and starts to spur growth these guys are going to become the most irrelevant people in the country. They're going to be guys cleaning toilets in subways whose opinion means more than the commentators on CNN if they don't knock this crap out. Really true. All right, finally, we have to go to the predictions. Not quite finally. This is the penultimate one. We have to go to the predictions that were made during the elections. Trump is headed for a historic defeat. The larger the defeat, in a sense, the healthier it will be for the Republican Party, at least if it doesn't bring exactly. Paul Ryan's speakership down with him. It might be a wake-up call to those Republicans who have existed in this little thought bubble of their own that this isn't a winning form of politics. You know, we, we could be talking landslide. Hillary Clinton today is more likely to win in a landslide that would not only have an impact on this race, but realign the country. That would translate to an electoral majority and probably electoral landslide for Hillary this could be tight, or it could be a landslide for Hillary. Most analysts are saying that Hillary Clinton's going to win in a landslide. If that spreads among women voters all across the country, he's going to lose by a landslide, and, and they could lose the Senate and the House. So the technical term for that, if she's anywhere near your prediction, would be blowout. I'd give a landslide. It's a landslide, yeah. Landslide. Here is Daniel Johnson of London's Standpoint magazine writing a book review in the Wall Street Journal. Here's how his book review begins, because it's not just about Donald Trump. And it's not just about this election. He's talking about the public intellectual. And that's what I, you know, I think everybody can sort of fall, everybody who talks for a living can sort of fall into that category, the public intellectual. He says, in the 20 years or so since the term public intellectual became current, the members of this self-appointed club seem to have learned nothing from their failure to predict the collapse of communism or make sense of its aftermath. They didn't see 9-11 coming nor the 2008 financial crash, nor the Arab Spring. In the past two years, they missed the emergence of Islamic State, Russia's annexation of Crimea, and most recently, Brexit and the victory of Donald Trump. All these people that we're watching, all these newsmen, all these thinking people, these talking people, they have missed every important event of the last 20 years. They have not seen it coming. And there's always one guy who maybe stumbled on it, but that didn't mean he knew what was going on. He just Sometimes people just get it right by accident. My only point is that a little bit of humility as we go into a new administration would suit us all. A little bit of let's see what happens. Let's find out what happens. Not like this is what's going to happen. When you've been wrong and wrong and wrong, the thing to do is stop making predictions and start watching and listening and seeing what happens next. And that, I think, is something we owe 
not to Donald Trump, we don't owe anything to Donald Trump, but to the people who elected him. I think we owe to them the fact that we didn't hear their voices, we didn't know they were coming, we didn't see what they were talking about, we didn't understand what they wanted, we didn't understand how important they were, how many of them there were. Now it's time to listen. It's time to listen and see what happens next. And let me finally end up this roundup of the year in, in stupid news with the most important story of the news. And this, of course, we all know broke Ben Shapiro's heart, and many of us here were in mourning for several days, the death of Harambe. Remember this, the death of Harambe. I think we, can, we all remember what happened. Child uh, jumped into the, uh, into the, you know, cage with Harambe, the whatever it is, what, what would you call it? the installation with Harambe, and Harambe had to be shot to save the child. But I think we just want to remember it with, in song. Here is a song dedicated to Harambe, which I think is actually a serious song. Thank you for that moral instruction, friends. I, the only th the only part of that song I disagree with is I like the whisper though. Harambe. Yeah, yeah. I, the only the only part of that I disagree with is the thing that our lives have never been the same. My life has been exactly the same since Harambe died. I haven't I haven't really noticed. I thought it was going to be sadder than it was. What can I tell you? All right, it's time for the mailbag. That was our roundup of stupid news throughout the year. The mailbag. Oh my. Yeah. <laughs> All right, the mailbag. Dear Supreme Galactic Destroyer Clavin, and by the way, if you want to send in uh, questions live, we will try and corral them. Dear Supreme Galactic Destroyer Clavin, another appropriate title for me. I, I will correct you if you get them wrong. Do you believe that many college professors and high school teachers are willingly brainwashing students to embrace leftist ideology, or do you believe that they themselves have been brainwashed by other parties into thinking such despicable practices like ruthlessly bashing conservatism is normal and necessary? It's a combination of two things. One, they believe themselves to be right. They believe that that um, leftist thought describes reality, which isn't true. But there also is an aspect of leftism in the Soviet Union. The, the, the term political correctness comes from a joke in the Soviet Union. I don't know if this is where it originated, but there was a joke in the Soviet Union where one guy says, comrade, what you said is factually incorrect. And the other guy says, yes, but it's politically correct, meaning that it agrees with the party. So part of the idea of leftism is there's no such thing as truth. There's only power. And power determines who has the power determines what the truth is. And so when they are, uh, you know, uh, blacklisting conservatives and shutting them up and shouting them down and uh, slandering them and all that stuff, they're simply enforcing the right, the correct, the politically correct narrative. And that's the idea, part of the idea of leftism. It is actually uh, what they have instead of truth. Um, <clears throat> 
here is one that says, who is this from? Okay, just from online. Other than the Bible, what specific pieces of literature changed from before and after you became a Christian? Do you mean the way I read them? Uh, well, every piece of literature changed, but but I'm not sure that they means changed me or I changed toward the literature. I've talked before. If you read my memoir, The Great Good Thing, I talk a lot about literature and its effect on me. Certainly Dostoevsky's uh, Crime and Punishment was one of the big books that changed my mind. Shakespeare has had a consistent and persistent effect on my life, and I really believe that the Christianity, the Christian outlook of Shakespeare is underrated by a secular academia that doesn't actually see it there. They can't, you know, it's like like uh, um, Admiral Nelson couldn't see the signal to retreat because he would hold the telescope to his blind eye. They can't see uh, God there because they are uh, blind to him. Uh, Trevor Butler, dear supreme dictator of goodness, Clavin, I attend a Calvinist Christian high school where we are taught that all believers are predestined by God and that the idea of free will is false because it goes against God's sovereignty. I would like to know your opinion on this matter. My opinion on this matter is that it is a prideful act to try and see the world from God's point of view, right? Things are only things are not predestined from God's point of view. I believe they are simultaneous. I believe that all time is in his mind at once. All time is in his mind at once. That's a very different perspective. We can't begin to imagine what that is like. We can't begin to imagine its ramifications on our lives from his point of view. From our point of view, it has no ramifications. Our lives are lived in time. In time, you have free will. In time, there's a moment when you choose and a moment when that choice is, goes into effect. You... Your experience as a human being is an experience of free will. That experience is completely valid, wholly true. Whether it is different and bigger in God's mind, yes, I guarantee it is. But what it is, I don't know, because it's God's mind. And I, we cannot, as much as we can supply you with the Daily Wire, we cannot take you inside God's mind. Even, even for us, that's too much to ask. Um, from Nathaniel Poivre, hello, Sir Clavin. Uh, okay, you know, I'll accept Sir Clavin. I've been thinking about acquiring a hairstyle similar to yours. Just how do you pull that off? Man, it took me years. I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. I was so afraid of shaving my own head that I would go to a barber. I'd find the cheapest barber I could, but even the cheapest barber nowadays costs 15 bucks. And I would go like every two days, you know, every couple of days, I would go and have him cut it as close to the nub as he possibly could. He wouldn't shave it, but he would just cut it really close. And finally, I thought... I, I've got to embrace this. I've got to somehow manage to do this because I was always afraid of leaving like patches on my back and all this stuff and, you know, just taking the time to do it every day. But finally, I just grasped the nettle and I did. I even let my wife do it once and then realized I didn't want my wife standing behind me with a razor. And <laughs> I mean, I don't think any man should have his wife standing behind him with a razor. But um but yeah, finally, I just had to do it myself, and I just uh, and I do, and I do it with a, a straight razor and a, not a straight razor, you know, a uh, regular razor and a and a buzz cut every day. Um, let's see. I'll do one more because we're almost out of time. Kyle Turnage. Oh, Supreme Emperor Clavin, my extremely leftist grandfather constantly wants to debate politics with me, but often refuses to even acknowledge my conservative point of view simply because he has more experience on this earth than I do. Basically, because he is older than me, he believes he is therefore wiser and correct. How can I address this so that maybe we can actually discuss ideas? Frankly, my advice to you is be nice to your grandfather. He won't be around forever. <laughs> just, just be kind to him. Listen to what he has to say. Some of it will be wise. Some of it you'll disagree with. Why argue with the man? If you, if you have to argue with him, 
as I always say, argue about principles. Don't get into arguments about people. This guy did this and this guy did that because all people are flawed and they do, um, you know, difficult things. They do wrong things, bad things. Bush does bad things. Obama does bad things. If you get into that argument, it goes on forever. Ask him. Ask him about his principles. But he is older than you. He is your grandfather. Be nice to him. That's important. All right. I, I'm going to do one more because I love this one. Marley Witt. From Marley Witt. Most Honorable Overlord Clavin, I have noticed upon listening to your theme that the baseline, the theme song, that the baseline focuses solely on what seems to be the tonic in octaves until the final phrase. This is not cohesive to the chord progression that the melody alludes to. Would you be opposed to a rewrite of this baseline? The rest of the tune is relatively catchy. Oh, yeah? <laughs> all right, all right. So what, what, what is she... What is she <laughs> so you're, you're, we feel that you're privileging the super tonic and the dominant, uh, you know, that we, we don't do that here because we're white men. So, <laughs> but it is true, it is true that uh, the bass line does focus uh, on the tonic in the octaves, and I sing the song, uh, I bounce around into different parts of, what is it, E-flat, right? The key of E-flat. So, and if you write that in again, we're coming to your house. <laughs> <laughs> I have a snarky audience, don't I? That is a snarky audience. All right. Stuff I like. We love. We are ending every day with a Christmas carol. This one, I can never find this Christmas carol because the, the name of it is so anodyne. It's so dull. But it's a beautiful carol. It's called The Angel's Carol. It's by a British composer named John Rutter. And I, I love the music of this carol. The words are very simple. Have you heard the sound of the angel voices ringing out so sweetly, ringing out so clear? Have you seen the star shining out so brightly as a sign from God that Christ the Lord is here? Have you heard the news that they bring from heaven to the humble shepherds who have waited long? Glorious and excelsis Deo, hear the angels sing their joyful song. This is uh, sung here by a French children's choir named Soto Voce, who have very cute French accents as they sing in English, but it's very beautiful stuff. Last day before the Clavenless holiday begins is tomorrow. Do not miss it. It is all you will have to keep you going through the next week. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. We will be back to close out the year tomorrow. Here is The Angel's Carol.